Hello, this is Nick Augustine, and I'm here with Mark Scroggins at Scroggins Law Group in the Frisco office, and today we are talking about child custody and high-conflict divorce issues. Hey, Nick, how are you? Doing well, and to get started, let's jump right into what happens when um, this happens more often than not, where both parents want to be the primary parent. Right. Um, it does happen a lot, and you know, sometimes it is a... Uh, it's a, what I would consider a valid issue, and plenty of other times it is not. Um, unfortunately, there are some people that are trying to, that will try to use child custody as leverage on, uh, for financial gain out of the property settlement, uh, when, you know, they really don't have a basis for it. Uh, so you have to hope that uh, once everything is done, if you end up going to trial, you can get some sort of uh, attorney's fees award because of the waste of that. So here's a good example of that. You got someone who stayed home mom, okay? Let's say dad's a good dad, but uh, dad it works as a consultant for one of the big consulting groups, you know, mm -hmm. and he travels four or five days a week. Yep. And now he's saying that, well, he wants to do 50-50 or he wants to be primary or something like that. Well, you know what? There's no way in hell that's going to happen. Right. Unless mom's really got some issues. I mean, it's a waste of time. Right. You know, his schedule doesn't allow it, even if all of a sudden now, you know, he's going to try to... It just doesn't, it, it is extremely rare that something like that's going to happen. And generally, it's going to mean that the stay-at-home uh, parent had had some issues. I mean, so there are a whole lot of different things, though, uh, that can be done if you're on, you know, relatively equal footing. So let's say both parents work and both parents are, you know, relatively good parents. Well, then you've got, you've got two different pieces that go along with this. You've got one where you're showing what a good parent you are and what your involvement is with the kids. And, you know, so you can look at things like daily routines, you know, who gets the kids up, who gets them bathed, who gets them dressed, who gets them fed, who takes them to school. So you can look at who's more involved as, uh, in stuff with the schools, who takes them to the doctor, who takes them to the dentist, who takes them to get their haircut. Who has yeah. a relationship with those other people. Exactly. And then depending on the ages of the kids, you know, what is their involvement in extracurricular activities? Mm -hmm. Your sporting events, does someone coach? Does someone go to uh, all the practices and all the games? Does someone else just kind of, you know, not really that involved in that kind of stuff? So there are a whole lot of moving parts to look at in that. And that's so there's no so the the good and the bad of that is that there's no cookie cutter solution. It, sure. it is all really dependent on the facts of your specific case. Well, and as we're talking about that, and I know that we recommend against new relationships while getting Absolutely. divorced and things. Um, are there situations where there is another person involved, and they say, "Well, yeah, I might travel four or five days out of the week, but you know." She's here, and she can drive all the kids around. She's already shuttle bussing. Yeah, if you're trying to do that in a divorce action, you just cut your own throat. Okay, Let's, so why, why is that? Yeah, well, I mean, because you're not going to, in the middle of a divorce, so tech, you are still married. Yeah. You know, so introducing the kids to the paramour, you know, is asinine. I mean, just mm -hmm. chalk it up as you are freaking stupid. It's adultery. Okay? It is, and I mean, it's not like adultery... Adultery generally plays more into the division of the marital estate. Okay? Mm -hmm. It really doesn't have a huge impact typically on child custody matters in the situation, the scenario that you just identified it would. Right. Okay, because there is no way that kids should be introduced to, you know, boyfriend or girlfriend during a divorce. Mm -hmm. I mean, frankly, 
you shouldn't be introducing them to someone new for quite some time, mm-hmm. you know, and until you have dated that person from some, for some time. Right. So, you know, those actions of saying, oh, well, I've had this longstanding affair with Ginger over here. And sometimes, they're, sometimes they're like multiple years. That is, you know? that, that's right. And, and people so, think that maybe that, well, it'll just, we'll just bump it up this way. Yeah, and that's, yeah, yeah you're kind of your own so Right. Don't, don't do that. Don't do that. And, here, <laughs> let, and let me address a couple things with that. So some people think, well, we got separated. Now it's now it's time to go ahead and date, you know? Right. Hold on until the divorce is over, okay? And there are a couple different reasons. One is just what I was talking about with the child custody stuff, okay? This does nothing to help you. Mm-hmm. It does nothing to help you. You introduce them to the kids, it's going to screw up stuff with your child custody arrangement. But here's the other thing, okay? You need time to actually heal from this. Generally, uh, you know, I think the consensus is that to actually get over the divorce is going to take somewhere between 12 to 24 months. Sure. Okay? And so what that means is you're really not good to anybody else. You're just going to end up in a rebound, right. uh, rebound relationship, um, which, hey, if the kids aren't involved and they don't meet anybody and you want to, you know, have a little rebound thing, good for you. But don't, you know, don't introduce the kids. It's freaking stupid. Right. Uh, there are plenty of judges out there that have a, have a rule of saying, I don't want the kids introduced to anybody until, you know, you've all been dating for at least six months. Mm-hmm. And so... Yeah. Right. So in the best interest of the child stuff is always in the court. Right. Always. So always, always. All right. So my next question is, so when things get involved and we have both parents who may want to be the primary parent, we're looking at, we're going to have a battle potentially. And right. so we may be introducing some child custody evaluators and amicus attorneys. So what is right. the difference between those? Okay, so a child custody evaluator is going to be uh, someone who is a psychologist, uh, a licensed professional counselor, a social worker, mm-hmm. someone who meets <clears throat> the requirements set forth in the Texas Family Code to be able to do the evaluation. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, An amicus attorney is just that. They are an attorney. And it's interesting because an amicus, they represent the best interest of the child. Okay? Mm-hmm. Um, so lots of people have also heard of an attorney ad litem. An attorney ad litem is actually an attorney for the children. Best interest doesn't come into play. It's what does Johnny want, okay? That's what an ad litem's responsibility right. is. There are lots of ad litems that tend to forget that and think that they are in an amicus role. But the amicus, where this gets a little confusing, so it's appointed by the court, can be agreed upon by the parties, obviously, uh, but typically appointed by the court. Um, and they are not actually an arm of the court, but they kind of act in that capacity. Mm-hmm. So they don't provide a report like a child custody evaluator does. They participate in the litigation like any other attorney, but they have additional additional things that they need to do and additional things they can do that I couldn't do or opposing counsel couldn't do sitting down and interviewing the kids, sitting down, you know, talking to both parties. Um, I mean, I can interview the kids, but I mean, you gotta be careful on that. Right. Um, but there are all these different things that they can do and have conversations with, you know, the different providers and all of that. And so while they don't provide a written report and while they cannot testify in court, um, they kind of act in that capacity and mm-hmm. will, uh, will tell both sides what they think is in the kid's best interest. 
And then if it goes to trial, what they have to do is, you know, they have to participate and ask questions with showing what their request of relief is, okay? So, like in most cases, you're going to present to the court what your request of relief is. In other words, what are you asking the court to do? Well, the amicus is going to do the same thing, okay? And then he or she is going to, you know, amass their witnesses to try to put forth this is what is in the in the kid's best interest, okay? So there is a movement going to more of that, um, especially in Collin County, um, especially in Collin County. And what I have been told from, uh, from certain judges is they think that certain child custody evaluators um, tend to just check the boxes and it takes so damn long that by the time they actually render their report, a lot of the stuff is irrelevant. I mean, it's not worth anything anymore. So if the last time, if the last time you talked to the kids, okay, and the last time you saw them interacting with mom or dad was six months ago, well, okay, so are the conclusions that you reach in your report even valid anymore? Right, especially if things were potentially triggered by what's going on maybe in school and things outside the family home. Right, and there, you know, you run into some of the same issues mm-hmm. with uh, child custody evaluator and amicus, and that is, you know, have they really done their job uh, thoroughly instead of just checking boxes? So one of the big issues is collateral witnesses. Sure. Okay. Everybody knows what mom's going to say. Everybody knows what dad's going to say. Everybody knows what mama's mama's going to say and daddy's mama's going to say. We right? can expect it. Exactly. Uh, the question is, what are disinterested third parties going to say? Right. Okay. What do the kids' teachers say? If the kids see a therapist, if they're in art, uh, if they have, you know, if there are meetings, do the, do the parents attend the art meetings? What is their interaction with the uh, special ed folks and the others that are attending the art meetings? All of these are different issues to find out what exactly have these people done, or is it just cursory? Yeah. What can you tell me? Okay, thank you. Five minutes done. You know, that's crap. Okay, that is a waste of money. And so you need to make sure that people are doing that. That's an area of attack all the time. You know, I've had plenty of things where I'm, you know, Amicus is supposed to meet with kids, and you, you get a bunch of stop, start, stop, start, stop, start, you know, where nothing's happening. And then all of a sudden, there's like this rush to get it done at the very end. Right, right. And it's like, you know, you got to do this shit timely or else it's worthless. Exactly. So, same problems, different approaches. All right. Okay. All right, Mark, my next question is, what can we know and what should we, how do we approach the concept of having psychological experts examining us as parents? I mean, that's kind of a, that's kind of a scary deal. It can be. It can be. Um, you know, look, psychological evaluations. Uh, let me back up. A court can order psychological evaluations of kids. Mm-hmm. Can order psychological evaluations of parties. Okay, that is not something that happens every day. Okay, the problem that we run into a lot now is there are all these great terms that people have heard now: narcissists. You know, people love that one. Oh, that's a big one. You know, psychopath, sociopath. Um, you know, there are a whole litany, borderline personality disorder. You know, and so the good and the bad is with you know the the digital age that we are in is you can go online and people Google shit and they read it and by God that must be what it means. Mm-hmm. You know? Or they go, you know, so let's say that they're a step above that. Thank God. 
you know, but they go to Amazon and they buy a bunch of different books, you know, identifying the sociopath who lives next door, you know, or something like that. <laughs> Read so, the pages, check, check, check. Exactly. You know, and so you're reading it from a very skewed... It's a self-fulfilling thing. Exactly. Yeah. So from a very skewed standpoint. So I can't tell you how many times I've had people come into my office and they're like, oh my God, you know, he's a narcissist or she's a sociopath. She's got borderline personality disorder, you know? I would say maybe 10 to 20% of the time that might be accurate. I mean, everybody's got different tendencies. Well, and how much is the person who's the armchair psychologist really the one (laughs) who should look in a mirror? Right. Sometimes there's you spot it, you got it. Right. Yeah. So that being said, there are plenty of times where this is something that needs to be be done. Mm -hmm. Mental health is becoming... uh, Mental health issues are more and more pervasive in, in this day and age, and I think a lot of it has to do with the society that we live in and, you know, the differences in the U.S. and, and others. Like, sure. know, I, was, I was privileged enough to take a trip to uh, Europe with, with my wife and daughter for her, her college graduation. Great pictures, by the way. Thank you very much. That was a lot of fun. But God, man, the attitude of people over there is totally different. You know, it's not like uh, our work day over here, but... So my point is, to make it clear, I love the U.S., big fan, you know, all that. Right. But with what we do on a daily basis in the grind and people that don't take vacations because they're afraid they're going to get fired and all this other kind of crap, it creates problems. Stress, yeah. we learn, has all of these impacts both on our physical and our mental well-being, right? Sure. Okay, so it is becoming more and more of an issue. Psychological evaluations can be very important to understand what is going on with some some people or with certain kids. I mean, sometimes certain things tend to present in very similar fashion that can mean totally different things. Sure. Okay, so, you know, and there are different schools of thought on things. So let's just talk about, like, with kids that have ADD or ADHD, okay? They're two totally different views on that. Some people are Medicaid, 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 and there are others that are, you know, you shouldn't medicate at all. And then there are others that, you know, maybe there's a medication aspect to it, but really what you need is some therapy to deal with what, you know, if there is some underlying trauma, Mm -hmm. uh, because sometimes that can be what is actually causing the presentment of uh, the issues. So when you have a parent that say, you know, something's just not right, let's say that they're a little somewhere they're, they're re- removed. Um, they're a little stoic. Um, let's say that they, you know, as we all can, go off the handle at, at different times. But let's say just some of the, some of their actions uh, just don't make a lot of sense. That's where a psychological evaluation can come into play. Because sense. these different big words that I use, narcissist, borderline personality disorder, sociopath, psychopath, they all have an impact on parenting and the ability to parent. Mm-hmm. And so that can be something that is very valuable um, to a court and to a litigator in assisting the court in making a determination as to what is in the kid's best interest and understanding that the lawyer on the other side is going to be coming at it from 
be complete different angle most of the time. It's a be careful if you open that box. When you start like throwing stuff out there, it's going to get possibly thrown back at you, and now you can get in a whirling dervish that you can't, you know. <laughs> well, and that's a great point. I'm glad you just mentioned that because a lot of people think, well, I want to take his, you know, get a psychological evaluation of him. And a lot of the time, that is a fantastic idea. But be careful what you ask for. Right. You just might get it. Because exactly. what's good for the goose is good for the gander. Right. I mean, so generally, if you ask, it's going to be granted most of the time. But you're, you've got one coming back. And guess what? People that have issues pick people that have issues. Okay? Yeah. So it's very rare. It's like you've it's, heard. It's happened so many times I've seen it. Well, know? it's just like you've heard. You know, a 10 doesn't pick a 1. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. Okay? It's the same thing on mental health. You know, if, <laughs> you know, the pers- a person who is, you know, deep sea fishing doesn't pick a person who is fishing in a cesspool. Right. Okay. You've got issue. Broken finds broken. Right. Okay. So that's, that's what I'm talking about. I don't mean that in a, in a derogatory manner. I just mean we all have our, we all have our baggage. Okay. We all have our baggage. God knows I've got plenty. Okay. But, you know. We tend to identify with other people that there's some sort of connection there. So understand that likely if you are asking for a psyche valve, you're going to be ordered to have one. And, you know, it's very rare that you don't have certain things that are going to come out that are scary. Okay. And so if you get these things that come out that are scary, and when I say they're scary, what I really mean is they sound scary. Okay. Because part of this, like someone takes an MMPI, right? Okay, and then they're going to be diagnosed by the DSM-5 and all that, and they've got more of these big terms and say, they show these proclivities or this, that, and the other. Well, what the hell does that really mean? Right. You know, it might not mean a damn thing, you know, or it might really be impactful, <laughs> okay? Sure. So you've got to understand what tests were administered. Were the, were the tests objective? Were the tests subjective? How do you go about attacking that? Well, I'll tell you how I go about attacking that. I hire somebody that knows what the hell they're talking about. Right, exactly. Because I am not a psychologist. Uh I am not a psychiatrist. You know, so I bring someone in who can define uh, what what just took place, tell me what this really means, and then if we need to attack it, can tell me how we go about attacking it. I mean, you know, obviously with having done this for well over 25 years, I've got some knowledge on how to do that on my own. Yeah. But I do not believe that I am smart enough to know all the ins and outs of that. You know, I know what my limits are. That's what's important. It's important to get a good strategy. Absolutely. All right. Yeah. All right, Mark, we've talked a lot about all the things that can happen with the parents. Let's talk about the kids for a second. When, if possible, can the kids offer their opinion? Who can listen to it? When is it relevant? What are your thoughts? Okay. Great question. Um, Let me give a little historical background. So there used to be what was called an affidavit of choice, all right? Um, affidavit of choice started out at the age of 14 where it's just what it sounds like, a affidavit of a kid where they are choosing who they want to live with, okay? It was at 14, then they dropped it to 12, then they dropped it to 10, then they moved it back up to 12, and they finally did away with the damn thing because it was so easily manipulated. Okay? Sure. So now what they have is, by statute, the court in a child custody matter must interview the kids if the kids are 12 years of age or older if, uh, if child custody, you know, or a change in child custody is at issue, okay? Now, what does that mean? If Johnny goes in there and says, I want to live with mom, does that mean that Johnny's going to live with mom? No, it doesn't, okay? It is one piece of evidence 
that the court can consider in making a determination, okay? Just another piece of evidence. Depending on the age of the child, it can have more of an impact, okay? Um, I personally believe if you've got situations where, um, let's say you've got uh, mom wants to, or daughter wants to live with mom, and daughter's just starting to go through puberty, okay? Same thing with, you know, a young man going through puberty, okay? Those are kind of common, um, and, and it makes a lot of sense that you have the, the same, uh, same gender parent there to be able to uh, assist you when you're going through that you know, very interesting time, okay? Um, but in general, it's just one, one thing for the court to consider. So not, you know, it is, it is far from being the be-all and end-all. Now, having said that, I have people come in all the time and saying, well, you know, my child will testify that. My child will testify that. Can a child testify? Yes, okay. Doesn't happen very often. Absolutely not, okay. I have had two cases in over 25 years where the child either did testify or was going to testify. Um, and because generally, and let me back up for a second. When we talked about the court interviewing the child, mm -hmm. typically the way that is done is it is just judge and child in their chambers, judge asking questions, okay? Now, it can be done a bunch of different ways. You can add the, the attorneys can ask to be present. Most of the time, that's denied because uh, the judges are concerned that that is going to be intrusive. The lawyers can ask to have the court ask certain questions. The court can either do that or not do that, mm -hmm. okay? Um, so generally, it is thought that you want to keep the kids as far away from the litigation as possible. So if you are going to call a child to testify, you better have a damn good reason, right? We've got all the standing orders out there and say, don't talk about the litigation right, exactly. with the kids. Don't talk about any of that crap. Right. What I tell my, my folks is, you have got to tell your kids, I'm sorry, I can't answer that. You know, your your father and I or your mother and I are trying to do the best we can to resolve these issues. Right. And leave it at that. Not prep your kid to testify against the Exactly. Other well, exactly. And yeah. so that becomes very sticky. And there are only very, very limited situations. And it has to be extreme. Right. I can't where, imagine, like, the smoking gun type thing. I don't know. You know, I had, I had a case where kids were making certain allegations of what uh, one parent and the step-parent were doing as mm -hmm. far as uh, just hot-boxing them on what do you want to do and if you do this, don't you know that the other parent is going to, you know, what happens if the other parent dies and all this really horrible stuff. I mean, just horrible stuff. Mm. Here's the problem. Who witnessed it? Nobody, aside from the kids, Okay. So that would have been one of those limited situations. Now, sure. I didn't come to that because there was some other stuff that happened that brought all of it out to light, okay? Um, but that would have been a situation where I really had to consider it, okay? Um, that was another case, actually, where instead of an appointment of an amicus, there was an appointment of an ad litem that had to make sure that the ad litem understood that you are the ad litem, what the kids want. You are not here to act as amicus and determine what you believe 
consuming consumer centrist. Right. So lots of interesting it's dynamics. Very complicated. And to people who are listening or watching this and their heads are spinning right <laughs> now, this is why we say hire the best lawyer you can find, someone board certified who has been through, you know, in my first rodeo. Yeah, exactly. Because I can't imagine, and it's probably going to be even more difficult for, a, for an experienced, solid attorney to have someone, you know, who's a novice on the other side. I mean, you can't take this stuff lightly. And you don't want to be running back to court on modification. You want to get it done the right first time. Well, I think that's absolutely right. One of the things I tell people all the time, whether you hire me and my firm or not, you know, hire a lawyer that knows what they're doing. Find somebody who's board certified or or a firm that is led by board certified lawyers. Right. You know, and that have a lot of experience because otherwise, if you try to skimp and save money, you will get what you pay for. Absolutely. I can't tell you how many times I've been brought in on cases where they hired someone who wasn't really a divorce lawyer, didn't know what they were doing, were trying to save money, and then to get everything fixed, you pay a time and a half or double what you would have paid if you just did it right, right from the start. That's why I don't build my own house. Yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> exactly. I'm All sure right. your neighbors thank you for that, too. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, for more information, please call Scroggins Law Group, 214 469 All right. All right. Thanks, guys.